0: I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April the 6th, episode 2906. This episode is brought to you by Stateline Tech. Good morning, Horse World. If you tuned in on Monday, Jamie is taking advantage of her son's spring break to take the week off and do some traveling. So I'm doing my best to put together some fun shows for you, and I think I have one today that most of you have not heard before. You know, we've been doing this show for almost 3,000 episodes in 12 years, so I know a lot of the listeners are new in the last couple of years. I know a lot of you have listened uh, since the beginning and have long forgotten what we talked about years ago. So I've done my best to look through the old archives, and find some really interesting nuggets for you. And I have uh, some for you today, and I have a really good one for you on Friday. Tomorrow, we will have the Sidelines magazine. Of course, that is the lifestyle magazine for the horse world, and uh, that's already been recorded, and will be out tomorrow. And they have some really fun guests for you, so I hope you enjoy that. So today, I have three parts for you. And the first part We speak with a Disney animator. His name was Daniel, and he did the animation on Maximus in the movie Tangled and talked to us all about that. It was fascinating. We absolutely loved talking to him. Jennifer worked hard to get that one set up uh, years ago, and I guarantee most of you have not heard that interview, so we have that for you first. Uh, Secondly, of course, we have our Daily Dose Equine Health segment, this time with Dr. B, uh, Dr. Brian Waldridge. He shared some uh, stories this is back in 2016 some side splitting vet calls that he did so we're going to we're going to share those with you and for our last segment today we're going back to 2015 If you all remember the documentary Harry and Snowman, well, it had just came out in 2015, and we got to hear the story behind the story because uh, there there was a lot of interesting things that happened in the making of that documentary, and we talked to the producer, Karen Alfeld, and she kind of went over it all with us. It was amazing. If you have never seen it, go look up Harry and Snowman. I think it's on YouTube and watch the documentary, but this was our interview with the producer back in 2015. I think you'll enjoy So let's get started. Right now, we're going to head back to about 2016 and talk to a Disney animator. And we hope that you enjoy this segment. Well, now we have, and I have to call him live here on Skype, so we'll add him into the conversation. We have Daniel coming on with us, who works for Disney, Walt Disney Animation, and he is an animator for them and has done uh, a lot of cool stuff with Disney. We hope we can get him on here through Skype. We're glad to have you on. We're so excited to talk to you. We're all huge Disney fans, and we did our show from Disney World at Tri-Circle D Ranch. By the way, we want to thank Robin Walker for help getting this set up. She's been terrific. And a bunch of our listeners have been over there for trail rides since we were there. So, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to 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 talk to you guys.
0: (laughs) You're you're a little bit quiet. Can you come a little bit closer uh, to the to the uh, microphone?
1: I think that'll help. What about now?
0: That's better. Yep, definitely. So we've had so many listeners asking questions this morning. You worked on so many cool movies, Tangled, Wreck It Ralph, which is one of our favorites, Frozen, Zootopia, uh, and worked with Maximus and Sven, which is, uh, so cool. One of the, one of my best favorite characters in Frozen. Uh, so Edward we're, because we're all animal lovers here but you know we're getting so many questions in from the listeners and one of them is I've always wanted to be an animator and I think every little kid growing up wants to be a policeman or an animator. So how did you do it? How did you become an animator and end up at the, one of the coolest places to work?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I I was always really uh, obsessed with the animation when I was a little kid back in Spain and and, you know at the time it was like a very impossible thing to even be able to to do that as a job right uh, but uh, slowly I was like I had the chance well I was always drawing I, I learned I went to art school and I had this chance to, to learn animation in London. I had this opportunity uh, the, the, um, the college the, they gave me like a scholarship. So I decided to give it a try and uh, because I always wanted to to learn how to do animation. So uh, lo- uh, studying in London was like really the beginning of my career. And, uh, and I really um, went from there, uh, working slowly in little, little projects, commercials and stuff. And then slowly, you know, getting better, better things uh, until I end up doing like my first feature film in London. Uh, and then that kind of opened the door for other feature films. And then it's you know slowly I I end up doing this one big movie in Europe called Planet Fifty One. It's a movie about aliens. Yeah, I remember it's kind that. Of, it's kind of a reverse story. It's like an alien world which is like the Earth, and there's this human who invades the uh, no invades he visits like it's like ET but in reverse. So <laughs> he, he he visits. Uh, the planet of aliens, uh, he becomes friends of one of the aliens. Uh, anyway, that movie kind of uh, was a huge uh, hit in Europe, and uh, it was internationally uh, uh, released uh, uh, also in the United States, and uh, uh, that kind of opened the door for me to to try to show my portfolio to the big studios like Disney, uh, you know, um, and uh, I, I was lucky enough that they look at my work and they 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 like it and they they decided to 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 hire me for uh, my first movie was for uh, Tangled in two thousand and nine. Well, now be, before we get to Tangled, before we get to Tangled, I just have a quick question
0: for you. Do you do they still require you to be able to draw as a, in addition to doing CG?
1: It's not a requirement anymore, actually. Um, you, if you know how to draw, it's a plus, but it's not totally a requirement because we're we're doing everything on the computer. Um, we we it's more similar to puppetry what we do. Like we actually manipulate these puppets on the computer, and it's you know you have to have a sense of acting. You have to have a sense of animation, but there's no really a requirement of knowing how to draw. So, but it's definitely a plus, and if you have a background in drawing or traditional animation, it's totally a plus, you know.
0: Well, then you started out with Tangled, and of course, one of our favorite horses in all the Disney movies is Maximus. Would, did uh-huh. was there a re, was there a horse that you used in studio? Did you bring a studio horse into the studio to study? And how did that all happen?
1: <laughs> well, we didn't um, bring a horse at the studio, but. We're—I don't know if you know—but the uh, the the Disney Animation building is right on the Equestrian neighborhood in Burbank. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we had plenty of reference, li- like like uh, like live act- live horses right next to us uh, in 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 the building. So I would normally, uh, you know, see them live uh, very very often, close to the to the building. So it was a good reference for us. Um uh, it was it was not weird to see people uh riding uh horses to in the in the middle of the street like along with cars and and stuff so you um, that that was good and then uh, i used a lot of videos from you know in the internet just uh well
3: <laughs> if if there's a horse like maximus i want it i want
1: that one <laughs> i think it was inspired on a uh, andalusian um Course. well and i
0: can of tell course. you this jamie if oh, you head out shit. to disney world you can see maximus because maximus is at the tri-circle d ranch at disney world right now
3: well cool that's yeah that's right <laughs> I'll, I'll,
1: it, I'll just I'll get to disney world. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um so how does how does it work C- can you explain how how the process of animating say maximus happens if you're well, not drawing it
1: yeah um I you I I come from a two D animation background, so I do a lot of drawings in preparation for my CG stuff. So I normally would do like a like a you know very rough two D animation uh, just to plan my my work to see what what the CG is gonna look like more or less. And and like I said, we look at videos to to reference for for this shot that I was doing. I don't know if you remember a shot where Maximus is trying to reach Flynn Raider and Rapunzel is not letting him. Rapunzel is kind of putting herself in the middle. Yes. And she, she, yep. she, she stops Maximus. And of course, he he doesn't want to hurt her. So he, Maximus, he has to kind of break, pull the brakes. And he does this cartoony kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and he tries to kind of... Uh, Move past uh, Rapunzel, but she doesn't let him anyway. For, to do that shot, I, I looked at videos of horses, uh, uh, you know, galloping and 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 you know, doing things like that. And then, um, the process is basically you, you get these virtual puppets, like this, 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 to- this, it's almost like a toy in the computer, and then you can manipulate it. And you can, you know, it, ha- it has all these joints that you can move around and and pose and you basically pose uh, each frame e- each important keyframe, you pose it like if he was a puppet and then you put that in the time and then you hit play and you see all those poses playing and it gives you a illusion of movement right so and the computer helps a lot like to calculate the in between poses um, and that's basically the process and then and then after that you put more more detail, more movement, more keyframes. And you know, you can tweak every little detail imaginable, like every movement of the eyelid, everything can be t- tweaked and, and you know, and precisely adjusted to to the director's, you know, whatever his vision is, you know. So that's it's hard to explain it without visuals and <laughs> just, just talking about it. But that's...
3: Well, it sounds like this whole process takes I don't know fifteen twenty minutes, real quick, huh? <laughs> Super short,
1: easy. <laughs> well, yeah, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> like so how long?
3: Shot, how long I, does I, it take? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was gonna tell you a shot like that, like that, that the shot that I was talking to you. Uh, uh, it, it's almost like um, uh, four seconds of animation. That can take up to two weeks of uh, work Whoa. just for just for the movement of the characters. And then after the movement, you need to put the lights and you need to put the colors and the texture. Well, and, uh, you know, all the departments are working together to get the final picture. But my job is, is only the movement and the performance.
0: But are you so, doing the... This is what I'm confused about, because at the end of the movies, you see all the credits, and there's 5,000 animators, right? <laughs> um, so, but... So, are you just doing that one scene? And, and then one of the listeners asked this, too. If you're just doing that one scene that involves Maximus, and then Maximus is in the whole movie, pretty much, are are there other animators doing all those other scenes? And then how do you maintain the fluidity and the consistency of of... Let's just take Maximus, in this case, throughout the whole movie, if you're not doing him through the whole thing
1: yeah i'm not yeah uh every animator does uh like uh average of a minute or two minutes of animation in one movie more or less so we we we're not doing only one scene we do several scenes uh involving uh different characters and yeah we have to really work as a team and really have like a single-minded kind of you know um uh philosophy you you cannot be individual in this you know you have to really if you do a scene with maximus you have to look at other people who has done uh a, a scene with the same character and kind of talk to them and and make sure we all on the same page on how to how to make him move how does he walk how does he run how does he do a reaction to something you know all these things they we have to be on the same page and we have uh, tools to do that too. We have uh, libraries in place so we can pull from those libraries, you know and, uh, and and reuse some of the animation that somebody has done or like a pose or faces facial expressions. We can uh, uh, reuse from somebody else's shot and put it into our shot and, and work from there. And also the directors are, and the supervisors are, are in charge of making sure that we are doing the same character, that we are not doing different versions of one character. So, so yeah, it's all about teamwork and, you know, That's amazing. Is yeah, it amazing? It, uh, everything is very planned, you know, before we start doing our work of animation, they have worked very hard in the storyboards and in the script. To make sure that the character is consistent and everything, so everything has already been planned for us. So when we come in, the character is already more or less defined, but we we give it an extra personality when we do the animation. We 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 made him performant in front of the camera, and we we actually give the final result of the movement of a character. So so we are we are responsible that it's always consistent, you know.
0: Now, with Sven, I heard that... Did they actually bring a reindeer in to the studio and do the whole... <laughs> uh, we kind of heard that. I don't know if that was a rumor or not.
1: It's true. It's true. They did bring a reindeer. Um, he, I think it was a very old uh, reindeer. <laughs> actually, because he he, in fact, uh, he didn't have one of his antlers. So it was only one antler. Uh, he looked very sad without, you know... <laughs> look broken so, <laughs> yeah it was kind of broken and he didn't move much he was just sitting there he seemed kind of tired and it was no. <laughs> That's not,
0: not awesome. at all that
1: out yeah so. sven no. didn't look like no. that at all no, no, it, was, it wasn't very He wasn't like sven at all but anyway it was it's, it's cool to have like a real animal in there to to get inspired and you know to get some reference but no. Yeah, it's is pretty is pretty active. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys Plus, do the uh
0: the thing where you hook all the all the, uh, the uh monitors up to people to get the movements and the stuff? Are you guys doing that too for your movies?
1: No, uh, you you're talking about motion capture? Yes. No, we we don't do that. We we try to keep our movies very stylized and we yeah. don't want to make uh, realistic movements. We want to make make sure that the characters are believable first of all and uh are as entertaining as possible you know um uh we want to differentiate ourselves from other uh movies like the visual effects movies the live action all that stuff that they are using all these uh, very realistic uh movements you know uh especially for human beings we we try to keep keep the, the human characters very Stylized and not ultra realistic, you know, there's always a, even when you look at, you know, some character like, I don't know, like Rapunzel, like she's very human, but at the same time, she has a cartoony proportions, you know, and she has these big eyes and, you know, she's like your typical Disney characters. So you don't want to make her completely realistic in her movements. You want to have a little bit more stylized. You know, um you, you, know, you yeah. It's probably is is the kind of the house style that we have. Mm,
3: yeah, I mean, it, it's such a. It's you see a, a drawing and you know it's a Disney character because, I wish my eyes were that big and my waist was that small, but it just doesn't happen in it's the a real cartoon. world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's <a> cartoon. <laughs> now I wanted to ask you when you were working on Frozen, did uh-huh. you? Think to yourself, or know to yourself, that this was like the movie that was going to change the world. I went trick or treating with my son last year, years after Frozen came out, and every freaking little girl is Elsa. Like, <laughs> no. did you did you know that that was going to happen?
1: We didn't. We did. We didn't. Ha- we didn't have uh, any idea this would be that big. I mean, we thought we were thinking, oh, this is going to be another Tangled. You know, oh, this is tangled on ice. You know, when you work so many hours into into one movie, you start to be like very critical of, of, of your work. And and you, you know, you think, oh, maybe it will be successful, but never, we never imagined it would be that successful, you know?
3: Oh my gosh. I mean, it was, it changed the world for kids, for
1: sure. Oh my God. And- yeah. It was, it was a big, for me at least, it was like a big, um, I, I mean I knew it was going to be successful and people were going to love it, but but not that at this level, you know.
3: <laughs> right, absolutely. So when the so you're doing, say you're I- involved with Sven, and at that time the you know Hans is saying something. Uh, sorry, I've seen these movies way too many times, <laughs> and so he's saying something. Do, is the voice in before the animation, or does the voice come after?
1: All the voice actors are doing their work before we do the animation. Okay. Normally, these movies are edited right uh, way before uh, anything else is produced. You know, the 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 editing comes first. It's completely the opposite of live action movies, where you film a bunch of stuff. You know, you go in the location, you you get as much footage as possible. Uh, Like different angles, you know, different coverage, and then in the editing room, the movie gets made, right? That's the that's the live action system. In animation, because it's so expensive to produce each second of animation, it's very expensive. So they they try to minimize the amount of animation you produce, and 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 nothing has to go to waste, you know. So the system has always been like since the very beginning, like uh, editing comes first. Like, you do, you do storyboards, you do, like, simple, you know, animatics, uh, l- temporary sound effects, temporary music, temporary voice uh, uh, recordings, and all that gets together into, like, a blueprint of a movie, like, very much so that you can see the, 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 the blueprint and you can tell if the movie works or not, you know, if the story works or not, you know, even if the drawings are very, like, rough and... And everything is rough, uh, are on the edges, but you can still see the whole movie, edited. You know, so once that is approved and that that looks like a good movie and uh, the editing works and the timing works, everything, then it goes into production and then 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 we start to animate.
0: And so I you're animating. Seriously. you're animating to the voices that are already recorded. The actors have already done it. You, so exactly, you're making. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. We we our part of our work is make sure that the characters. Are moving the lips uh, exactly like the the voice, so it, it feels like it's the character talking and not the voice uh, recorded separately. It, it doesn't have to look separate; it has to look uh, seamless, you know. Wow!
3: So you had you had to listen to Mandy Moore say lines a billion times. Do you hear her voice and just get chills? I mean, uh Mandy, shut up!
1: Yes, yes, we get the same audio clip for forever for weeks you know oh. <laughs> two or three weeks listening to the same three seconds of oh. or, okay of i
0: gotta them. know though when you go to the so movies you, then and finally see the movie and you're with your wife i don't know if you have kids or not but you're with your friends or your wife or whatever are you sitting there going that's my scene that's my scene
1: yes <laughs> i normally squeeze uh, my my wife's hand i i grab her you know i grab her hand and i squeeze a little bit And that's the indication that that's my shot. I did that.
0: (laughs) And at the end of the movie, do
1: you watch for
0: your name to go by and take a picture?
1: Yeah, well, I don't do that anymore. But everybody, my family, everybody does it. (laughs) (laughs) And they show it to me on Facebook.
3: Look, I saw your name. (laughs) Your mama probably was like my crazy ass son, just drawing all the time. Like never thought it would amount (laughs) to anything here. You are working at freaking Disney with your name in the credits. That's amazing. (laughs)
1: Oh, I know. She's, she's so proud. It's crazy. Every movie, like, and she does. She loves Facebook anyway, and she it makes a lot of advertising for me. I don't have to, <laughs> to say anything about the movie. She does all the advertisements. Go
3: <laughs> see,
1: see my sauce movie.
0: So, what happens awesome. from here? Do you is one uh, once an animator? Always an animator? Or do you actually? Is there somewhere to progress to that
1: you would like to be? Well, um, once you're here, uh, the, you can you can try to become a supervisor, uh, which is you know like a step uh, above uh, where you you're you're not animating as much, but you're supervising and you're kind of managing a group of people. Uh, that that could be uh, interesting thing, but the fact that you don't animate that much uh, is is kind of yeah not not appealing to me. I really like. My doing my work, so if I can, you know, keep animating, I'll be happy doing that.
3: All right, so I just looked you up on Facebook, and um, yeah, this is no computer nerd, ladies. He's actually hot, that's really not fair.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of uh hot animators, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, it's we're not. Yeah, we're not computer nerds. So. You
3: don't have to say. You don't have to follow that up. I'm just
1: letting everybody know. <laughs> I mean, there's a bit of everything.
3: (laughs) You're like, well, there are some nerds. Okay. sorry. (laughs) Listen, Daniel, this has been amazing. I could talk to you for hours about this. This is so exciting. Congratulations on all the success of all of these movies. I mean, my gosh, your name is associated with the biggest movies on the planet for forever. So congratulations. And and congratulations to your mama, who's so proud of her boy. And yeah. She, you don't even need to do promotion. Just put your mom on stage with Conan O'Brien. Oh, She'll yeah. talk to him.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we will sell you the movie. She will take you to Godo and, and watch it a million times. Oh, <laughs> proud so mom. Very good.
0: Well, give your mom a shout out. What's her name?
1: Daniel uh, Martin Peixe.
0: And what's no, her, your mom's name? Mama's name?
1: Uh, what's, uh, my, what's my mom? Uh, Hilda.
0: Hilda. Well, Hilda, you did a good job. You did a good (laughs) job.
1: like Elsa.
3: Maybe she was the princess. There you go. Um,
0: Elsa, Elsa.
1: (laughs) I don't think she can hear you guys from Spain, but... Oh, she can.
0: We'll send you a link. She can listen to this.
1: Oh, yes. You guys...
0: Yeah, we're all internet. So we have a lot of listeners in Spain and Europe, actually.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so
0: so, (laughs) so we'll say hello to her. And uh, thank you so much for
1: joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. That was that was fun. All
0: right, take care. And also, we got to give another big shout out to uh, Robin Walker and everybody at the Tri Circle D Ranch. All our friends down there, Disney World, Orlando. And if you want to meet Maximus like we did, you just head on over to the ranch and say that uh, Glenn and Jamie said I needed to meet Maximus, and they'll take you to say hi to Maximus. So uh, you can do that right here. Here, in here I got
3: something. I got something for you, Lucas. Who is that? Who's that?
0: Kids never talk when you want them to, Daniel. <laughs> they never talk when you want He's them to. He's
3: standing behind me going, Maximus, Maximus, <laughs> Maximus. I put the mic in front of his face. He's like, uh-huh.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Bye.
3: Bye, Daniel.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. The next segment will be up shortly, but first, our title sponsor for today is Stateline Tech. You're going to find them at Land Rover in a couple of weeks. That's right, it's only a couple of weeks away. Get your tickets now. Jamie is planning meetups. You heard that on the show. She'll talk about that more next week. So if you're going to be there and going to have some money to spend, head on over to Stateline Tech's huge booth that's in the old indoor arena on the top-level kind of on the left. You can't miss it. It's the largest booth in the place. And they have thousands of items that are going to be there, many on sale. So if you're not going, then head on over to StatelineTech.com right now and check out their highlighting on their homepage, their selection of cowboy boots my god there is a lot of cowboy boots in the world and let me tell you there's some wild cowboy boots now they have 10 pages of them over there and uh, you know there's some that run from the 60 dollar range all the way up to four or five hundred dollars cowboy boots can get pricey but they have some very fancy ones as well i have never seen anything like this before so um i there's one that actually has benjamin franklin's face on the bottom of the boot Yes, that is correct. You heard me right. So check it out today, StatelineTac.com, for all your cowboy boot needs. Coming up next in our Daily Dose Equine Health segment is Dr. Brian Waldridge out of Kentucky. He's sharing some side-splitting vet call stories as he kind of explains wound care, and this was back in 2016. Man, we've been doing this show for a long time. (laughs)
3: It's time for the Horses in the Morning Horse Health Report when our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, wrap lined equine products. And we have Dr. Brian Waldridge on the phone uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, you can follow him on his Dr. B's Bluegrass Facebook page. And he has many adventures traveling around Lexington, taking care of all horses, famous and, and, and backyard horses. And so we welcome him to the show. Dr. Waldridge, good morning.
2: Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me back.
3: Oh my gosh, it's, it's, I couldn't wait to have Wait back a minute, on. cut
0: right there. You're talking about wounds. Dr. Weldridge, no offense, but I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Just let me know when you're done. Somebody can text me. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not so good at this stuff,
3: so I'm just saying. Uh, just, well, right. you know what? The grosser and gorier you can make it, I love it. <laughs> so bring it on. We're going to talk about wounds today. First of all, let's just catch up. How have you been?
2: Oh, been good. Been pretty busy. The weather here has been good for late fall in Kentucky, which has been really nice. So, I've uh, been getting to go to the track quite a bit and see a lot of horses, and that's been fun. Been uh, a lot of news out of old friends, a lot of new horses that are pretty exciting. You know, horses uh, heard about, seen on TV that are out there now, like uh, Alphabet Suits. There, uh, Touch Gold arrived yesterday. So, and the uh, War Emblems back from Japan. So. It's been really fun to to get to know those horses, those famous horses, and still get to see my friends and uh, out in the field, and get to see my old mare every now and then.
3: Now, Dr. Waldridge, of course, is the vet for Old Friends, and now I just read that Stephen Godeven is heading to Old Friends.
2: Yes, and that's and that's gonna be exciting too. So we we've taken in quite a few uh, pretty famous stallions here in the last couple of months. So it's going to be great. And hope everybody comes up to see them.
3: That's so cool. I know Michael Blow and I, I don't know him personally, but he just always looks so unhappy when he's out there. And we've had him on the show and he's like, I can't believe I get to walk outside and see these amazing horses. So what's it like working for him?
2: Oh, he's just a great friend. And, uh, you know, we go out there quite a bit. And uh, back when I had more time, we used to do a a local radio show here in town at the, the training center. And, and I did a vet segment there and, and Michael's just, you know, his uh, enthusiasm and the amount that he cares for those horses is, is amazing. And it, and it spills over to everybody that works with him. You know, it, it's just a pleasure to work with him. And, you know, I feel so lucky to be able to work with those horses. You know, I could tell Michael, sometimes I go up to him and I feel like I should ask their, their permission to do something to them. They're so famous. Yeah. <laughs> I gave you this vaccination, Mister Solar Charm, but it, it's really—it's <laughs> really a lot of fun.
3: I would—I would be just—I'm like, let me give you a shot of bantamine. I mean, please don't go out there. I'd I, like you forget how to do vet stuff because you're nervous working around these famous, famous horses that mean so much to the people. Now, last time we talked to you, you were doing a pilot episode on your vet practice. Whatever happened?
2: Um, well, I, I haven't stopped believing. Um, still working at it. You know, the, the Facebook page continues to grow. It's, it's really cool. You know, there's new people that are uh, liking the page every week, and, and that's been really. And even people overseas, there's people from several foreign countries even to follow it. And so, um, my new plan I've hatched is I'm going to get a GoPro camera and I'm going to start trying to make some of my own little short episodes of you know, going to old friends or going to see other horses on farms and things to. To keep it going. So still working oh, nice. at it, still trying.
3: That would be fantastic. I would love to see that. I mean, especially with well, like Smarty Jones is coming back to Kentucky. You could go spend some time with Smarty or go see American Pharaoh. I think that's really neat. I would definitely watch.
2: Well, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying. So that's going to be the new plan for 2016.
3: All right. If you can't do it, get somebody else to do it. you got to do it yourself. My God. That's
2: right. And teeth, so that's what I'm mean going to do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly. GoPro, baby. GoPro and YouTube. Here we go. Um, now, talk to us a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about wound care today. Why don't you get us started?
2: Now, I think the biggest thing on wound care probably starts with, does it need stitches or not, if you look at a wound? and Usually, if I'm on the phone with somebody who calls by the horse's cut, is, you know, if you think it needs stitches, it probably does. You know, one nice thing now is with uh, everybody having phones is you can get a picture of a wound. And and that's really helped because I've been where I've been hours away from a client. They'll send me a picture and I look at it. Oh, okay. Well, that one's all right. Let's do something different. But I I think that's kind of the first decision when you look at a wound. And then how to keep that wound healthy, I think, is a big thing. And you you, you really can't go wrong with a bandage unless you put it on too tight, which most people don't do. And then trying to keep that wound happy and healthy with a some type of antibiotic ointment and it really just, you can usually get it from your vet, the pound jar, triple antibiotic ointment or a neosporin type ointment. You just buy at the drugstore. It's really a nice ointment for that wound because you have to keep it moist, and keep those cells happy because the way that wound heals, you know, it fills in and it gets granulation tissue which is just fibroblasts, which are cells that help to contract the wounds, their job is to pull that wound closed, and then the little skin cells on the top, they have to literally crawl across the top of that wound, and and that's how the wound heals. It contracts and then epithelializes. It covers itself back over, and the wound's going to do best in a moist environment because those cells are happier and they can move easier, and also an antibiotic helps to keep down the infection. So I think the two old principles, bandage it, keep it clean.
3: So, now, when you say bandage, I, I, I just remember my mama always saying, don't you bandage that. Don't put a Band-Aid on it because it needs air.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. What I've often done, especially if it's a wound, that may be a little further up on the leg where you don't have to worry about it getting dirt or manure into it. I think it's okay to leave that bandage off for a couple hours. Just, if nothing else, it kind of lets the circulation come back, maybe a little better to that area that's been hurt, but. Um, I like to put a bandage at least the first couple of days because another thing I think is really important is it's easier to prevent swelling, especially if it's a leg than it is to get rid of it. If the horse gets hurt may not be swollen yet and you have a swollen leg the next day, it's harder for that bandage to squeeze that edema back out of the leg.
3: Okay, that was um, somebody write that down. It's easier to prevent swelling than to get rid of it. Okay, see that's very important what you just said. So That needs to be on a I don't know, a t-shirt. Okay. So <laughs> when <laughs> you see, that's the kind of stuff you need to put on your show. That was genius. I've never heard that before. Uh, so when we are looking at our horse, it comes in from the pasture and it has a, it has a wound. What are some of the first things that we need to look at to assess it, to know whether we need to call the vet?
2: Yeah. I think making sure it's clean, you know, because oftentimes it's on a leg and dirt and it's really hard to cause any problems to so just take a, a hose or some water. Another thing you can do is just keep on hand a, or ask your vet for a bigger syringe, like a 30 cc or a 60 cc syringe. And if you put a, a a 20 gauge needle on there, which they'll have and they can give you two, and and just squeeze water through that syringe, you, that'll have pretty good pressure, and that'll help to even wash off bacteria with it, as a pressure to clean up that wound. So you want to clean it up first. 'Cause sometimes they look really bad and then you clean them up to see, well, let's get the blood and the and the dirt off and see the wound isn't that that terrible. So getting them clean I think's the first step. Then trying it's to water. decide what structures are are affected. You know, are they is it just literally just a skin wound? Uh, but not like a Monty Python skin wound, you know, when they're <laughs> they're their like, <laughs> so wanna make sure that uh, one of the best it's movies well-handed. ever made.
0: I'm just going to throw that in there. It's
3: only a flesh wound. <laughs> like, no arms. Sorry. Yeah, Carry that was on. some
2: vet humor. We've used that one before. I <laughs> bet. <laughs> is so, that required
0: um, watching at vet school, that movie? Because uh, it should be.
2: Well, you know, one, I used to teach. You know, I taught at Auburn, and, and I decided once you had gotten a generation past the students, which is where I was when I left. They didn't understand any references to movies or, or to music or anything. So uh.
4: you,
2: know, you had to use it in your own this this generational joke, which I still think's funny, but you'd say it to the students and you'd say, It's only a flashback, and they would just look at you funny yes. and you just had to walk away. <laughs>
0: Well, we get it. We understand exactly what you're talking about.
3: You know, I'm dealing with the same thing. I have a bunch of 13-year-old girls that I teach riding lessons to, and they all board their horse here, and I'll say things, and they're like, they look at me sideways. And I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, that movie's, like, a couple years old. <laughs> that's it. Oh, I know the feeling. Okay, so back to the wound. We are cleaning it out to see if it's a flesh yes. wound. Yes. So I think that's
2: a big thing. The garden hose is fine. Or uh, keep those syringes on hand, and that that really helps quite a bit to clean those wounds up.
3: So then we've got this wound; it's clean. Well, how do we assess whether we are going to need just to bandage it ourselves, or leave it open, or is there some like thing that you do to kind of okay? Is it this deep? Is it involve this? Um, what do you What do you do next?
2: Yeah, I think then you got to see where it is on the animal's body, if it's below the knee and below the hock, then it's hopefully just going to be skin. But back there, we have to worry about tendons and joints being open. So if it's in a close proximity to the tendons in the back of the leg or a difficult over joint, then that's more worrisome. So it's probably, they're there more in your best interest to call the vet out to take a look because if you get a joint infection, those can be catastrophic and they won't, show up until a few days later. The horse won't become lame usually until that joint sealed itself back up and then increased pressure.
0: Does that sound do familiar, Jamie?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Glenn. Never had anything. She just like that, had
0: huh? one that had a puncture wound that wasn't that big and then turned into a bone infection. So she knows exactly what you're talking about there. But see
3: the pro the thing there is, Glenn, is I called the freaking vet. And it just was this very <laughs> special, wonderful thoroughbred who had this like thing. It was a tiny d- Seriously, Dr. B, it was like a quarter of an inch across the under the knee on the front of the cannon bone. And it just went up and up and up and up. I mean, we took x-rays of a probe in there and I'm like, oh, my God, so gross. Uh, it went all the way up and ended up being this bone infection, even though he was on two antibiotics even before it got to that phase. So it, it sometimes it doesn't even matter if you get the vet out there. <laughs> they're going to do what they're going to do.
2: Right, and then sometimes if it's a bad bacteria and it's deep into yep. the tissues, then that favors anaerobes, which are bacteria that don't even grow in the presence of air. Air is actually toxic to them, and some of those can be pretty nasty bugs. And and then we also have, you know, horses get MRSA like people do. It um, can spread it to humans, and humans can spread it to horses or horse to horse. And uh, if we have MRSA in there, there's oftentimes very few antibiotics that'll get that. That that's uncommon, but you know it's always something to kind of keep in the back of your mind for, especially a surgical incision or some of these wounds that don't heal and kind of keep some pus and maybe somebody that works at the barn has been to the hospital and brought back some MRSA.
3: Oh my gosh, just things I'm never going to sleep again. Okay, so do you have any good juicy big wound stories you want to share?
0: How did I know this was coming? (laughs) I just knew this was coming.
2: Yeah, I, I was hoping actually. (laughs) <laughs> uh, two, two, come, two come to mind uh, the the first one was really the the first emergency I ever went on by myself uh, I worked in rural Georgia at the time and it was Saturday night which makes it even better and um, I had to meet the, the folks at a feed store follow them back through in that area there were a lot of logging roads just sand roads that we went back in the pine forest and followed them back to the where they lived and, and I'll never forget because all of them, they park, and I park, and I get out, and this cute little girl gets out of the truck right as I'm getting out of my truck, and she looks up, up, up at me, and she says, Daddy's been drinking again. And I thought, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, that would make a really good George Jones song, but it's not what you want to hear when you get out of your truck. Sorry. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> and so, so then I get my stuff, and we go to try and find the foal. We've gotten him some barbed wire, so we go looking for him. And 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 Daddy is back in the woods chasing the mare and the foal. Um, and so all you can see is pine forest. And, and finally, Daddy emerges from the pine forest. And in one hand, he has his belt. Because he's been trying to loop that around the foal to, to bring it back. And his other hand, there's a pistol. Oh. And you know, so his pants are falling off. And that was back. You know, early 90s hip hop was in its infancy, so nobody was really wearing their drawers above their pants yet. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I thought, you know, what's going on? And, and so I started talking to him and I said, well, what, what's going on? He said, well, I, you know, I think the fool is bleeding to death. and I'm trying to shoot it, but I can't okay. get a clear shot. I said, well, if he can run away, he's probably pretty healthy. I said, let's tell you what, let's put down the gun and go get a feed bucket and, and catch the mare and then we'll we'll sew up the foal. So that's what he does. And we bring the foal in the barn, and, and everything's going really good, and knock the foal down, start closing it up. And then, you know, it's Saturday night, so the, the neighbors from all around started showing up in lawn chairs, and they brought beer and coolers, oh. and <laughs> sat around in circles, <laughs> and, which was really good, because, you know, there was like a sober 13-year-old who helped hold down the foal uh, while it sutured, and we got the foal done, everything went fine, and and it ended up being a really cool night because you know, sat, you know, sat around another half hour and talked to them and, you know, just visited with it. Like the whole neighborhood came over. This is your kinfolk, Jamie.
0: This is your kinfolk.
3: Yeah, oh, Lord the, have mercy. You said rural Georgia. I'm like, oh, God, I've been there.
2: You grew yeah, it's up the near line. there.
3: So it's like-
2: <laughs> I won't name the town. But it's just outside of Columbus, Georgia.
3: My dad's been uh, drinking this- again. <laughs> um, you yeah. said it wrong, though, because it's Diddy. Diddy's been drinking again. <laughs> drinking yeah, again. it was. Um, did
0: did 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 the little polite, nice, sweet girl who has to grow up with that Diddy? Did, he? did uh, she happen to mention that he had a gun before you went out there?
2: No, that was a surprise. Uh-huh. I, I learned that as he emerged from the forest. Uh, so, uh, oh my, God. You know, you, so that was the very first emergency call I went on. And
3: I was going to shoot it, but know, I couldn't get a clear shot because it's just running damn yeah, fast. It.
2: <laughs> it was just total pine forest. So I. It would have been tough and um, I'm not sure his aim would have been all that good anyway. But, <laughs> oh uh, at that time,
0: yeah, I think the fall had a running chance there.
2: <laughs> yeah, the oh, vet didn't have much chance. I know that, so that's why I just had to calm him down. <laughs> God. Well,
0: I oh, I wanna hear another story. My, We're gonna t- and, if you have time, tiffed. I you, I gotta hear another one of your stories.
3: Oh yeah.
2: Oh, uh, the, the second one's not as good, but it's it's unusual. This this is rural Alabama when I was back at Auburn that. Uh, we had to suture up a horse that fell through an ice cream truck. What? The, the, what? I, guess had, I guess the folks had a, an old like junkyard in their pasture, and um, it, there was an old ice cream truck in there. And this horse had walked into the ice cream truck and fell through the bottom of the ice cream truck and cut up its <laughs> leg. So we sewed that one up. And,
0: These things only happen you know, in the south. And by the yeah, way, so do I mean, they not to, let you into any place that's even close to like city or urban? You you apparently have to. You apparently get to go out to the middle of nowhere.
2: Back then, we did because it was pretty rural, you know. And you, you don't drive too far from Lexington; you get to pretty rural area. That's so, true.
0: That is true. And
2: I enjoy it. You know, th- those are my people, and I and I I really, you know, I, I just love talking to people, and and you know, I, I can. It's easy for me to explain things to them, and and talk to them and help them with problems they may have. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun.
3: Where are you from?
2: I'm from Bardstown, Kentucky, which is, um, oh yeah, about 60 miles west of, of Lexington. And it's also where my old Kentucky home is. So when you hear my old Kentucky home, that's an actual old plantation house. It's uh, only about two miles from where I grew up.
3: That is, um, that's rural, my friend. <laughs> that
2: is, it's, um, uh, <laughs> little place. Well, it used to be a little place. It's still pretty little in uh, good old Nelson County, Kentucky, where we make more bourbon than anywhere else in the world. So that's another You know where,
3: I, when I lived in Lexington, uh, we used to go out to Washington County and go on trail rides. And man, that's some rural. Well, well, well my
2: dad, my uh, mother's family is from Washington County, actually. So that, that's right. That's good. That's right next door. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Washington, Washington <laughs> County. Uh, now, uh, where yeah, did you Kentucky, go?
2: to? Everybody says they're from what county?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Washington <laughs> County. Where, where did you go to vet school?
2: I went to Auburn.
3: Auburn. Okay. So I, I didn't know if you were from, you went to university of Georgia too, because I mean that where that is, it's very rural and you've got a lot of rural Georgia places to go. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, let's see. Okay. Before we let you go, let's wrap up this whole uh, wound care thing. So we get it cleaned off and we decide where it is. We can take a picture of it now and we can send it to our vet. If you can't, you need a younger vet (laughs) because they need to be with the technology to see these things. Anything else uh, in closing that you would like us to know?
2: Well, you know, Proud Flash is the next thing. Once we've got everything under control. Is do we need to prevent? There is in an area that's more likely to get proud flesh, and so generally, if it's below the knee or below the hock, where well there's really only skin in that area, those are the wounds that are most likely to get proud flesh. So once that wound kind of begins to heal, we have to watch for proud flesh, which is what we call it as exuberant granulation tissue. That means the blood vessels and the cyber blast grow higher than the wound than the, the skin margin, and once that happens. The little cells that crawl across the top, those skin cells, they can't crawl over that. Think of it like a mountain. They can't crawl over the mountain. And so that either needs to be trimmed back or we can use steroids in our wound ointments and steroids help to inhibit that. And bandages is due to some degree too. So if it's below the knee or below the hock, you need to watch for proud flesh because it's easier also to head that off than it is to go back and trim that back and, and sort of start over, although we'll have a good... Uh, bad for that wound to heal but watch for proud flesh in those lower leg wounds
3: now i last i th- this whole thing with my thoroughbred that got this cut below the knee one of the things i was concerned about was the proud flesh and my vet told me a couple different kind of normal household items to use to to prevent it so what do you recommend for proud flesh
2: i usually just take um Purist ointment, I'll put in some dexamethasone, which is a steroid, and I'll put in some old wound stuff called uh, scarlet oil, the red stuff that people have probably seen. And that'll help, the steroids will help to knock back the, the proud flesh, and the scarlet oil helps the epithelialization. You know, so you can use um, a meat tenderizer. Uh, you know, I think that works better when it's a pretty small uh, amounts of the proud flesh because it has trypsin and things like that that actually our bodies produce to help digest protein. So that's how that works. Um, so that's probably the only other one I've ever used household remedy wise, or you know, just trim it off the scalpel blade and then start over with a uh, wound oil.
3: Oh, the fact that just throwing meat tenderizer on your horse just seems wrong. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like kind of rural Kentucky to me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually
0: have heard that one for years in rural Pennsylvania too.
3: I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. Well, Doctor B as always. We've decided now that we think that you should have your own podcast. You know, come on here once every you know once a week and do a little twenty minute podcast talking to people. I think that Glenn needs to hire you and make you a part of the Horse Radio Network.
2: Oh, I'm happy to do anything, and kind um, of we're gonna. I'm gonna start with some. Videos. I've got to get a new computer too. My computer's so old it it's not even supported by Microsoft anymore. So um, <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get started up uh, first a year. And uh, when start you start doing do those
0: videos, videos, you let us know and we'll post them. Okay.
2: Uh, oh, that'll be awesome. I, I sure appreciate you guys interviewing me and uh, helping me get the get the word out because uh, I sure have a lot of fun doing what I do.
3: Hanging out here with the mad scientist who developed daily dose equine horse feed formulas, Janet Geyer. And you might wonder, whenever I get my horse feed delivered to my door in Maryland or Texas or California or Missouri, am I getting the same horse feed? And the answer is? The answer is that it is always the same formula, always the same horse feed. We don't change ingredients. Uh, we are a fixed formula feed
0: Get ready to turn heads with a beautifully styled, meticulously designed arena saddle crafted from European leather, without sacrificing comfort for you or your horse. The classic elegance and unbeatable quality of arena saddles will take your seat to the next level in the ring. Arena saddles are known for their beauty, comfort, and practicality. You can't deny these stylish saddles have eye appeal, but you might be wondering what makes an arena saddle so comfortable. Well, it's features like ultra-soft seats and knee inserts, a perfectly balanced seat, customizable rider support, and extra protective cushioning to give your horse softness and freedom. That's what makes Arena Saddles the premier choice for the discerning rider. With saddles from every discipline and confirmation priced at... $1,599, $1,599, there's an arena saddle that fits you perfectly. Visit arenasaddles.com to view the full range of saddles available and to find a retailer near you. And now it's time for Karen Olfeld the producer of Harry and Snowman, the documentary. The story behind the story. In
4: 1956, my dad went to New Holland, Pennsylvania to an auction to look for cheap horses If a horse didn't get sold, it went to the killers.
3: There was a white Amy's plow horse. The same time I looked at him, he looked down
1: to me. Snowman and I clicked right away. I paid $80 for him.
2: Snowman was about to be destroyed only five short years ago. Mr. Dallaire is the man who saved the legendary horse, Snowman.
1: Down deep,
4: the two of them were connected and somehow both of their lives were going to be affected forever
1: i came to this country with nothing in my pocket snowman and me we made it to the top of the world
2: oh can't that horse put on a big jump
1: harry was
0: quite the competitor he really thought no matter what he was riding that he could
4: beat the big guy
2: All eyes this week have been on underdogs Harry DeLayer and Snowman. They've been on an unprecedented East Coast winning streak. Harry DeLayer and Snowman have done it. They have won the 1958 Triple Crown.
0: His driving force was never quit. The man
2: never give up. He got so close to me, and he got so close to my kids. He was part of the family.
4: Snowman would do anything my dad asked of him, and I believe that is because no man understood that
3: my dad saved him.
1: Snowman was more than just a horse to me. He was my best friend.
3: How am I supposed to talk after that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wow. knew you would
0: be a mess after that. What Sorry did about you that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me
0: to introduce the guest or are you yes, okay? I need okay. A <laughs> All <laughs> right. Mom's we
1: have <laughs>
0: <laughs> We have Karen with us who is the executive producer of Harry and Snowman. And now they got half the audience crying. Thanks a lot, Karen, for bringing the show up today.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having us the um um the tissues are always out huh
0: yes Aww. apparently and you're going to have to have boxes and boxes of them because you're going to be at the Equus Film Festival in New York City today
4: well i have to admit that i'm sitting in uh, northern michigan and uh, but my director ron is in uh, in manhattan and uh, he's so excited about the film, um, and uh, so are all the people that get to see it this time, huh?
0: Yeah. Well, if the if the trailer's any indication, they're just going to need those Kleenex. <laughs> let me tell you.
3: Oh my! <laughs> How gosh. you
0: doing, Jamie? You okay?
3: okay? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Karen, wow! The story behind the making of this film should be a movie in itself. Reading a little bit on the background of the making of this. I mean, you had the footage. Then the footage disappeared and you had to track it. And t- tell everybody kind of how this whole thing got started.
4: Well, I guess it, it goes with, you know, how we're all brought up. Um, I was brought up in a, a little ski town where all these fellows and gals were making ski movies, and I thought to myself, this is so fantastic, but um, I don't really like skiing as much as I like horses, and I said I'd like to do the same thing they're doing, but make it all about horses, and so I sort of started down this road of um, starting to collect all these amazing little um, pieces of information about horses and things that struck my fancy, and as I developed a uh, storyline, I um, bumped into amazing people, as you do, and we were able to uh, put together a production years and years and years ago. I mean, a long time ago, back in the seventies, and um, it it started from there. It, it was it was just a, a lifelong passion of uh, wanting to um, create film. I'm, you know, that that old saying that film is the strongest uh, educator. Um I just love that.
3: Absolutely. So rather than
4: writing a book, um I did that.
3: <laughs> now, you had I believe it was back in the 80s, you had some trouble you, you you released or you had a movie that you called Jumpers. And it was unreleased a documentary filmed in the late 70s and early 80s about show jumping and it focused on Harry Dallaire was one of the top three uh, Grand Prix writers that this movie, this show focused on. But then of course, as it does, you kind of ran out of money and unfortunately the the movie was never made. Well, for years it was in a storage vault and then uh, take it from here. You wrote to the vault and ask for all of the footage back. Yeah. I, um,
4: you know, I, we, we built this amazing uh, ranch after I got married and, uh, so, you know, the, the ranch was finished and I was in an office and I thought, you know, the, the time is right. Um, let's, let's do the movie. So I sent off a nice letter saying to the vault, um, you know, what kind of capabilities do you guys have? I want to switch my, um, my celluloid to, um, uh, digital. And the letter came back and it had never been opened. And it said the, the business was out of business. Oh my And God. so I, I just remember getting that letter and I'm thinking, what does this mean and what will happen? And so I got on the phone. I started to spin my Rolodex and um, I called my crew from um, that had helped me during the movie. I think um, his name was he was a cool guy. His name was Phil and uh, he was my sound guy. And uh, Phil said to me, he said, "Uh, Karen, I think I know someone that can help you. So, I gave her a call, and what uh, happened from there was this just amazing uh, journey of going to all these different states all around Manhattan and finding these boxes that had once been, you know, lined up on a shelf and finding them in different places. Um, oh I believe I don't um, I don't have any proof of it that people probably drove uh, up to the the business that was going out of business and, um, they filled as many boxes as they could into their vehicles and drove away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, so there went my film, in all these different directions. And what was amazing is that, um, it had been so focused in New York city. Uh, we had thrown huge parties at bonds casino at, uh, these different uh, venues during the national horse show. And I was, it was so, um, sort of integrated into New York City, and all of a sudden it had just like, <laughs> it had ricocheted right yeah. out of New York. So that was quite a story, huh?
3: So yeah, and so you ran ads trying to find it in the Chronicle of the Horse and in Backstage Magazine to, to help try to get people to help you find it. And finally all the pieces came together in 2012 in Florida, where you then partnered with, uh, equestrian and filmmaker, Ron Davis. You mentioned Ron earlier, and then you became the executive producer for the documentary, Harry and snowman. And so your archived footage kind of facilitated the making of this documentary.
4: Yes, it, it sure did. And, um, I have to say also that um, when Ron and I um, met up here in uh, Michigan uh, in my offices and archives and crafts rooms and things like that, um, all those little pieces of um, things that I had collected over the years about um, the subjects, um, they were all used to um, help sort of build that story, Um, the catalogs, the the photographs, the... um, those amazing family scenes. So I was really, really fortunate that um, I guess dogged determination had been sort of what <laughs> had run the show before this, and 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 it and it proved to be so helpful. Now we were so lucky, huh?
3: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about what we're going to see or what these lucky individuals who have tickets to the movie tonight at the Equus Film Festival in New York are going to see.
4: Well, I think what they're going to see is, and um, I've been to a ton of film festivals now, so um, I've, seen, um, I've seen what unfolds. And um, I think it's surprisingly... Familiar. what they're going to see is surprisingly familiar it's almost like you're stepping into your own stable um, and where snowman and, and Harry are the stars of your stable uh, you can almost smell smell the hay and the in the way and the grain and um, and and I think that for people that um, don't know anything about horses it will uh, create for them And this is what makes me the most excited and and the most passionate. I believe that uh, the story uh, introduces a person that really doesn't know anything about our our world. It will introduce them to the world in a way where it's friendly, accommodating, welcoming, and, Mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, because the story is, is so beautiful. It's, it's, the story is the same story as, as um, every horse person almost has. It's just that it's, it's really, really cool. And there's this really amazing man and his amazing horse that, right. uh, you know, is like at the, the heart of it. So I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but um, that's, that's what it feels like to me.
3: It makes perfect sense. So, so horse people and non-horse people alike are going to really connect with this movie. I believe so. Yes.
4: And I've, I've seen, uh, from the Q and A's that I've done, um, from the emails that we've received, uh, from the support that we've gotten, um, proof of that right down the line. This is, this is in This, it's not, um, to me, it's not a, a niche, uh, film as much as it is, um, um,
3: beautiful family. story, yeah. It's it's a beautiful story yeah. about family, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just just a month ago, my girlfriend's like, "When am I gonna see this movie?" We need to. And so now, uh, tell us a little bit about where and how and when people are going to be able to watch this. Okay,
4: so we've created a wonderful website that has on it um, our our schedule for the film festivals. And so that's the go-to place. It's, um, uh, www.harryandsnowman.com. Okay. And, um, nothing is done, uh, that's not on that, um, that site. So it's a, it's a simple, um, uh, it's a simple menu of, um, of success for that, huh?
3: <laughs> Harry and snowman.com, easy enough. That's how they can find easy it. That's enough. how they can see it. Yeah. And then, uh, this has, you know, snowman's legacy lives on. Tell us about the snowman rescue fund.
4: Uh, yeah. I, I hope everyone loves this. Um, so, uh, we had our premiere of the movie down in Raleigh, Durham, which was really an incredible uh, event because Harry had come first to um, North Carolina when he um, came into the United States. So it was really a, uh, a homecoming for, for our film to be started there. So
3: right,
4: right after that was over, Ron took the, the camera guys and um, they went to uh, where snowman had been uh, uh, saved. They went up to wow. the um, Pennsylvania uh, slaughterhouse and they started filming and um we we did we had access that um is rare to uh, a couple of the steps of the, the the whole process and we saved three horses wow now um we call it the snowman rescue fund and it is based um out of Pennsylvania um because that's where snowman was found um
0: I know, by the way, I I just want to interrupt you there. Mm -hmm. And I want to add that that auction he was found at is still running today. So I just want to throw that out. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So we we visited there in April. And uh, that's where we got this footage and things like that. So um, and there's an interesting part of this. And this is sort of my 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 take on, on what we did. We rescued three horses now. When you rescue a horse, you can rescue a horse and put him in your backyard if you're uh, needing a horse and, you know, wanting to fall in love with a horse. You can rescue a horse and um, help him go into a rehabilitation program where he becomes someone else's horse Mm -hmm. and then goes on to live um, a healthy and loved life. Uh, And you can also rescue a horse and have him given a, a very peaceful ending. Um, there's many horses that go into these situations that, um, hardly can make it, you know, to step one and step two after they're purchased by the killers. And so what we did is we, we, we bought one and, um, we, we saved its life, but then we, we put him to a peaceful sleep. And so it's a wonderful way, um, to, to help horses and it doesn't cost you very, very much money. Well, so how can people I love get involved, the idea uh so on our website again, uh you go to support and um uh you can click right into uh how to do that
3: well, so we tried
4: to make everything super simple
3: the 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 much more peaceful ending for these horses that need it is you know them avoiding these truck drives where they're falling over and they're overcrowded. And then they're stuck into these large tunnels where they're smelling the blood of other horses. No horse, no horse deserves to have that fate. So what you guys are doing, be rescue one way or the other. It's a fantastic thing that you're doing. And I, you just can't even believe that that was going to be snowman's fate when you see him jump and Just this movie, HarryandSnowman.com is gonna, it's gonna talk to people that had no idea that this even goes on. And so I'm so proud of you guys for getting in there and, and getting it done. And congratulations, Karen, for not giving up and finding all this footage and bringing it to people. And, uh, you know, those, the horse friends of mine cannot wait to see this film and the non-horse friends of mine are so intrigued by it because so many of them have read the book and heard the stories my mom remembers seeing this horse on you know Johnny Carson i mean he was the heart of the nation for a while and you've brought him back and you have let people see his life and you're you're saving horses in the same way so First of all, thank you for never giving up, and thank you for continuing the efforts. And I- I'm so excited. HarryandSnowMan.com, you can go check it out there. Uh, Karen, anything else that you want to add before we have to let you go? Unfortunately, we've gone over in time. I could talk to you for two days. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, but I
4: think it's a, it's a it's a really good film for kids. Uh, because we want to teach them about the old days of show jumping. Yeah. I think it has potential to do more for show jumping than anything that we have um, on our platform right now.
0: Well, I do have one quick question yeah. for you before we let you go. Is the DVD come, is it going to be out? Is that a next-year project? or
4: You know, the DVD is this elusive um, idea that uh, comes with <laughs> distribution. Okay. And we are um, looking for distribution now, and okay. we're we hopeful. Yeah, right, my God! I hope about it, that, so. I want to see and it on the big screen. The so. people. Yeah. 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 The big screen is the coolest. Yeah. You know, you want to be there with all these people. It's it's electric.
0: Very good.
3: Bring your damn mm. tissues. My God. <laughs> can't there you even go. watch the preview. <laughs> there you go.
4: <laughs> Thanks, Karen Offield, executive right. well,
3: producer of Harry and Snowman documentary. Thank you so much. HarryandSnowman.com. Go look for the film. Go donate to help the Snowman Rescue Fund. Karen, thank you so much for joining us and have a great day and good luck tonight.
4: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Well, tomorrow we'll have a brand new Sidelines Magazine episode for you where they interview Doug Payne as well as some others and talk a little bit about the lifestyle of the horse world. That's what the magazine's all about. And then on Friday, I have a very special episode planned for you that I think you all enjoy that I think most of you haven't heard before Uh, yet. It ranks up there as one of my top three most favorite episodes of all 3,000 that we've done. So you look forward to that on Friday. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all the past episodes at Horse Radio... uh at horseradionetwork.com. You can also become an auditor there. Head on over to the auditor page there. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, Stable Scoop Roundtable is back. We'll be live tonight in the auditor room as well as on the Stable Scoop Facebook page and on the Horse Radio Network Facebook page. It's a roundtable of guests that discuss uh, hot topics in the horse world. So you can look forward to catching that live tonight or catch it on the Stable Scoop podcast feed tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. We'll look forward to speaking to you Friday morning.